Well, good morning. I'm so happy to be with you all this morning. My name is Annie. Uh, my husband, oh, nice to meet you. Woo! <laughs> For those of you who I don't know, uh, my husband, Ashok, and I and our three kids, we love to call Awakening Church home. And um, it's special because Ryan's my brother, so um, I've dreamed for a long time that we would share um, a podium together. So this has been incredibly special for me to be here today. Well, as we get going this morning, we're going to kick off a two-part series this week and next on presence. Oh man, presence, how to be fully present in the moment. And I'm so thankful that Ryan asked me to teach on this because this is something I really struggled with. Um, I just turned 30 this last summer, and I had a lot of time. You know, you hit those big milestone birthdays, and you look back on your life. And um, I looked back on my 20s, and one of my biggest regrets is that I missed a lot of important moments. I was so focused on my goals. I was so focused on being successful. I was so focused on being an A-plus student that I think I missed a lot of moments of connection. When I think about my college uh, years, I was so in a hurry to be successful and on the speed track to perform that I just decided I'm going to do a four-year degree in three years. I'd already started that journey in high school, you know, AP classes, honors classes. I took a lot of pride and I found a lot of security in doing really well, performing well. I wonder if some of you can relate to that with me, especially here in Silicon Valley. We're the most educated society in almost all the world, and there's something about that, and I... I felt really good to be educated and to be responsible. And so, but I, when I think about those college years, I was so focused on my work and my studies that I really missed a lot of meaningful moments that could have breathed life and meaning into my life. I have major regrets because you guys, you know how you have like, you know, a thousand Facebook friends and you have all those people you went to college with or now high school with? When I look at those people that I went to college with, I have no relationship with. I have friends that say, oh, yeah, we went on the weekend and we went, um, you know, did this fun getaway with all my college buddies. I don't have those people. I was too darn focused on my studies and doing it really well. And though I looked really put together on the outside, I was really lonely. I spent a lot of hours in my dorm room crying. I felt lonely. I struggled with depression. At one point, I was on antidepressants because I just thought, I'm going to feel good if I keep doing all these right things, and yet I missed on these relationships, relationships with all these girls. I, you guys, I went to a Bible college. It wasn't like void of Christ. It was I, I was surrounded by Jesus everywhere I went, and yes, I missed meaning, and I missed connection in life, and, and that's what we're made for. What if life is not really, I mean, the big moments are important, you know, those graduations and the weddings and having a baby, all those things are so precious and important in our lives. But what if we're missing all those little moments throughout our day that make up our life, that hold power to change our life? And that's what I want to talk to you guys today about. How do we live in the present? How in the hurried and frantic pace of our lives do we experience deep, meaningful connection with others? If you have your notes, you're welcome to open them with me. How do we live in such a way that we do not miss the moments that hold power to change our lives? And you guys, I love this. This is not a new problem. It's actually a very ancient one. 
you know, even in today's world, it's easy to think, okay, connection, even in our society, you know, we're more connected than ever. You know, I think about, we have, oh, you didn't even bring my phone up. It was supposed to be an illustration. Well, my phone's not here. We are more connected than ever on our phones. We're accessible. We have the capacity to be connected at any given point. Like this last week, my dad was in China, and I was FaceTiming with him. Like, that's awesome. We can do that. But despite all the tools and the ways that we have to connect in our society, we still are left with our relationships feeling more fragmented and more disconnected. So why is that? What if it's not a technology problem? What if it's a heart problem? What if we're missing those crazy moments that God has in store for us because our eyes are on the wrong thing? So let's look at this. Jesus addresses this very issue of presence when he walked on the face of the earth, and his words still hold true today. Would you guys turn with me to Luke 10, 38 through 42? You guys, if you have your Bibles or your tablet or anything, open it up. You guys, I love this word. This word brings life. God's word brings so much power. And let's open it together today to discover what he has in store for us. Before we jump into the text, I'd like for you to envision with me, maybe close your eyes, especially with Thanksgiving coming up, we can envision this. You're in a kitchen and you're watching two sisters get ready for a dinner party. One's kind of the more dominant one. She's type A. She's kind of bossing her sister around, telling her to cut the vegetables a different way, telling her she needs more flour to knead into the dough. She's not the warmest individual, but she's dependable. She's productive, and she's efficient. She gets stuff done. So that party is going to run smoothly because she's there. She's the hostess with the mostest. And then she's got her, her younger sister there, and, you know, she's more of the type B, chill, you know, feeler type. Am I describing two different women in here? <laughs> she is more that like feeler, deep thinker, and kind of takes it a little slower. So she kind of complies with her sister, and you know, she's helping her out in the kitchen. Well, they're getting ready for a very important guest to arrive. VIP status. His name's Jesus. Let's jump into the text. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now is Jesus... And his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So let's dive into this story together. I want us to taste and feel and see what was going on in that living room. So first of all, we see that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Well, where were they on their way from? Jesus and his disciples, we learn from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. He's been doing ministry. Right before this, he's sending out the disciples. He's training them and teaching them, deploying them and say, go, heal the sick, teach the good news of the kingdom. And so they've come back, they've regrouped, and they're traveling on their way. And remember, this is like, you know, really a long time ago. Like, they walked by feet all day long. So by the time he gets to Martha's home, Jesus is tired. I'm guessing that these men, you know, they are worn out, they're hungry, they're thirsty, And so we see that Jesus and his disciples, they come into the village. This is outside of Jerusalem where Martha lived. And Martha opened her home to him. 
Other translations say she received him. Now, this is a big deal. The idea that Martha received him into her home is like, it's not like, hey, let's come over and, you know, why don't you have a cup of coffee? Come sit down and we'll talk. The idea that Martha is receiving Jesus into her home is saying, we're going to throw you a big feast and a big party. And for those of us in this room who are, you know what it looks like to throw a big party, you know how much work that takes. And so, especially in the Near Eastern culture, hospitality was a really big deal. I mean, so I married into a Middle Eastern family, so I have a little bit of an idea of what this is like. So I come from an American family where, you know, you like prepare a few things, and if someone comes over to visit, you have a cup of coffee, and if you're feeling really special, you're going to, you know, get some fruit out and set it out and share a nice conversation. Well, in this Near Eastern culture, in the Middle Eastern culture, when people come over, they're crazy about feeding you. And I have a mother-in-law who's crazy about feeding me. I remember when we were dating, I would, we would show up at 10 p.m. at night, and you know, I thought, oh, maybe she's going to be asleep. Well, I show up to come say hello. Within 10 minutes, she has me sitting down. She's serving me tea. I already have fruit. And I blink, and there's vegetables, meats, and grains all on the table. And I'm expected to eat it all at 10 p.m. <laughs> That's what it was like. So think about it as we're looking in, uh, into Martha and her world and how she's looking. Let me start. Yeah, there we go. As Martha is experiencing Jesus coming into her home, that's what's on her mind. She's thinking, okay, I need to get this done. I need to get that done. I need to make sure they're tired and hungry. I need to take care of them. Okay. So let's keep moving through the story. So she opened her home to him. Next, she had a sister. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now here's, we just learned two things about Mary. That she sat at the Lord's feet and that she listened. And you know what? I love learning about this. Did you know that Mary, to sit at the Lord's feet, it meant that she was taking one of the places of the disciples. You see, back then, women didn't have a place. When people met socially, men usually were in uh, the living room. They were in the big, large gathering meeting areas, and they, the men were socializing, and it was very culturally expected for the women to be in the kitchen. Um, it's kind of like the current day, you know, when you have big parties. The men are out on the grill getting the food ready, and the women are in the kitchen. And so it's like Mary's like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with the men and, like, get a beer and sit and grill. She was really out of place, okay? She was really out of place, if that's any way I can help you understand. And yet there's something that happens. Mary decides that she's going to do what's unexpected and what's not culturally acceptable, but she sits there. And what we know from other passages in the Gospels is that Mary was one to be at Jesus' feet more than once. She was there weeping before Jesus because she was loved much and forgiven much. Her sins were forgiven. We find later in Luke that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, anointing his feet with oil, preparing him for the resurrection. Mary had a very special relationship with Jesus, and she knew even though it wasn't necessarily what was expected culturally and the pressures that were put on by society, She wanted to be near him, and she wanted to listen to him. She was captivated by him, and she listened. She was so captivated that it says she listened, she sat down, and she listened and hung on all his words. It seemed like all that food preparation had slipped from her mind. I don't even think she heard her sister clanging the, you know, 
dishes in the background trying to get her attention. She was just, her gaze was fixed on Jesus. That's all that mattered was listening to everything hanging off the words of Jesus' lips. And then we get to the big but. The big but in the, the story. But Martha. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. If Mary could be characterized by like the scene where she's sitting there at Jesus' feet and it's so peaceful and there's classical music in the background. Martha is like the complete opposite. She's running around crazy with her head cut off. A chicken, like it's just going crazy. She's balking around, getting all mad. Under her breath, she's just angry because she can't get everything in order. She was distracted. I love this idea. Being distracted is this idea of being pulled away. It's something that's kind of done to you. It's a word that's passive. And what pulled her away? Her worry, her preparations. And what did it pull her away from? It pulled her from her guest. It pulled her from the presence of enjoying Jesus. But wasn't she supposed to be serving? I mean... Okay, going back to the context, if we were in that living room in that day, Martha was doing exactly what she was supposed to be doing. So why does the author put, but Martha? He seems to allude that she's missing out on something very important. And she, Martha, went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Okay, so in this part, Martha has gone from being preoccupied and worried and distracted about all the preparations that she needs to make to now she's just angry. Maybe she's hangry too. I don't know. She's angry and hangry and she's ticked off. I kind of envision her in the kitchen, like cutting up the vegetables. Have you ever been like you're getting ready for some, something and like, okay, I'll just put myself in her shoes. Not Actually, I promised to show it I would not throw him under the bus at all this morning, but I'm about to... <laughs> You know, like you're, you know, married couples, you know how like you're getting ready for a party and you like expect your husband or your kids to do certain things. And it's like, this is not going to be ready if you're not going to do your part. So Martha, not that I've ever done that. Let's just pretend that was like, we just envisioned, you know, that, that could have happened. Let's just say we've had a few instances where I've kind of yelled at a show when I wanted him to do things at home because company was coming over. So think about how Martha, like Mary's her sister. She's like, and they've been doing this whole like hosting thing for a long time. Think about it. They've lived together. They, uh, they're family and they've been doing this. So she goes from being angry. And I just, I can kind of picture her just being, whispering under her breath, like, I can't believe Mary's over there. What is she doing? She's so lazy. I mean, I can't believe she's just sitting there at Jesus' feet. And she knows like all these men need to get fed. They're hungry. Like, what is she doing? I can't believe that she's doing that. How dare she? And as Martha is having this inner dialogue with herself, can you kind of imagine? Like, they're probably only a few feet away, but Martha is so caught up in her anger, and she's so caught up in everything needing to be right and the preparations to come out, that just a few feet across the way, Jesus is having this lovely conversation with Mary and with his disciples, teaching him. He's giving words of life to them. Now, although she knows intellectually that Jesus is present, her mind and her emotions are a thousand miles apart. So as you see them in the living room talking, and Jesus is sharing his words, sharing his life, sharing the good news, Martha, 
she comes in and we could just call this the major interruption of the whole event. She just barges in and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve all alone? Like, how are we supposed to get this meal together if she's not in the kitchen? And I know people listen to you, so can you just tell her to get her butt in the kitchen now? Because then that would solve everything. Everything would be right. But Jesus shocks her with her, his response. He says, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. It's like, hey, pay attention. Take a breath. Calm down. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, the better choice, and it can't be taken from her. Oh, I wonder what Martha was thinking and feeling. What did her face look like when he said that? You notice Jesus didn't tell her to stop cooking. He didn't say to stop preparing food in the kitchen. He called out the state of her heart. It was anxious, troubled. I think Martha had a lot of fear. I think she found a lot of security in having all her ducks in a row, having everything prepared and ready and right for Jesus. I mean, Jesus was in her home. I'd want to do a good job too. But she missed it. She was so focused on the goal that she missed the moment that held power to change her life. Martha didn't have a hospitality problem. She had a heart problem. She had fear. She had pride. And that whole moment where she was just feet, a few feet away from Jesus, she was so focused on her part her work, and herself that led to anger because she began to compare and blame Mary. She decided that what she was doing was better and more valuable and important than what Mary was doing. She became the judge. And that's what pride does to us. We put ourselves in the center of our world and think it's the template for what everyone else should be doing. And what her pride and her fear did most was disconnect her from the intimacy that she could have shared with Jesus and her sister. Wouldn't that have been cool to sit next to her sister, someone you've grown up with your whole life, and share that connection with Jesus together? She missed it. You see, Jesus wasn't down on Martha for being productive. He was grieved that her priorities were out of order. She didn't put what mattered first most. Instead of giving Jesus her full attention, she just missed out on the moment of receiving life-giving words, of being in the Almighty's present. Jesus is fully human, but he's fully God, and he was there in her home. She was caught up in doing the dishes and cutting the vegetables. Man. Jesus wasn't looking for Martha to do things for him. He was looking for her to come sit and be with him. I wonder how many of us in our Christian ministry were so caught up in doing things for Jesus and serving him and doing Bible studies 
that we miss on just simply being in his presence and just enjoying him. It seems pretty clear which one Jesus is most concerned about. But I think it's a lot easier for us to do things for him, you know, because we can do it in our own drive and our own energy. It feels more tangible when we get things done. That's how I lived for a lot of my life. Sitting and talking to Jesus, well, it doesn't seem like we got anything done. But Jesus gives Martha an invitation. He stops her in her tracks and he tells her, he calls out the state of her heart. And he points Martha to follow Mary's lead. He said, see Mary, she's chosen what's best. And it's the only thing that matters. You may think she should be doing her part in the kitchen right now. But she's done what's only vital right now. And you know what that better portion is that she's chosen? It's me. It's my presence. My love for you is so powerful and unfailing that it can never be wiped out. My presence in your life can never be taken away. I'm in your home. Come sit with me. I'll show you how to live, where to spend your time. My love casts out fear. It casts out all those fears, so it drives out your worries and your anger. You must only come sit with me. You know, the Gospel of Luke, the story ends here. I kind of wonder what Martha did after that. I'd like to think that she set aside her broom. She took off that apron. She went and sat down. I'd like to think she sat down and she looked over and looked into her sister's eyes and squeezed her hand and said, okay, this must be better. I need to sit down and fix my eyes on Jesus. And Jesus and Mary and Martha, I hope and pray after that shared an incredible moment and that Martha never forgot. You see, the story of Mary and Martha teaches us that Jesus' presence is more important than anything else. It takes priority. When we prioritize the presence of Jesus in our lives, we will experience the purpose, the love, the beauty, and power in each moment of our day. You know why? Because he's God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the bread of life. He who is hungry and he who is thirsty will never be again. Because I give life. I am all that you need. I wonder what would happen if we just learned to sit and be in Jesus' presence. How we'd be more attuned to how to spend our time. How to love people. How we'd be conscious of those little moments that could shape the entire course of our lives. Jesus wants his presence to take priority in your life. So you don't miss out on anything. He made you, and he made all the people around you. You think he has capacity and ability to orchestrate your life so you get the very best? He's God. And in his pleasure and delight, he's made us for relationship. He's created all of us as a body to do relationship with each other, to experience him together. And that leads us to our next point as we look at this message. Let's not forget that while Jesus, he is fully God, He's fully human in this story. And I think we can learn some really important lessons about being fully present with one another. Mary and Martha's response to Jesus and their human relationships there reveal three practices for experiencing life-giving presence in our relationships. Let's look at them. We look at the notes with me together. 
So how do we practice presence in our relationship with others? Practicing presence, first, is a conscious choice. You know, with every encounter, we must make a conscious choice, whether we're going to engage or be pulled away. When left to ourselves, we're just going to drift. We'll be pulled away by the distractions of this world. You know, we learn Mary and Martha, their choices that they made, they both made really specific choices when they saw Jesus. And their choice directly impacted their experience with Jesus. One made the choice to be intentional and sit herself down. And one allowed the worries, the busyness, the distraction and the fear to keep her from Jesus. And also keep her from the relationship with him. So I just want to get really practical. As we mentioned before earlier, I lived a lot of my life missing the moments because I was so hurried, like Martha, to get the job done. And yet in the midst of getting the job done, I missed all those relationships and the joy and the meaning. So how do we not miss the moment? How do we live fully in the present with the people that God has given us? So it starts with the choice. Left to ourselves, we are going to drift into doing our own thing, focusing on ourselves, going to our tablets, being busy. So how do we do that? We must make a choice to intentionally remove distractions. Man, I didn't have my phone. You guys, next time I'm going to bring my phone. It starts with your phone. It starts with those notifications. Everyone pull your phone out. Okay, did you guys know there's this thing called like notification settings? It's awesome. You can tell your phone when to bug you and when not to. Did you know that? Did you know it doesn't have to like buzz or ring or ding? at any given moment, like you have power to control how often it bugs you. That's actually really incredible. (laughs) I think a lot of us go through life letting those notifications ding and buzz and control how how we're gonna spend our time. And I think it's time that we take control of those notification settings. You decide when you're gonna check your email. You decide when you're gonna go on Facebook. Um, There is a lot of power when you can um, take control of that. Otherwise, we just drift. You get in the middle of great conversations. I don't know how many times I've been in the middle of a conversation with my husband and the phone rings, and it's like, okay, well, there's a time and place. We obviously need our phones, um, but we can create space. The second is take off your headphones when you're in public. Okay, I love my headphones, by the way. Obviously, I did not come prepared with any of my visuals. I was going to hold the phone. You guys, you know what they are. So... I love my headphones. I love putting them on, listening to good music and like working out. I love going to the gym and like getting in my own world. I'm a stay-at-home mom with three little kids. So anytime I can kind of escape from like, you know, the intensity of that, I love being able to do that. I love sitting in a coffee shop and putting my headphones on and being able to study or read or just think. There is a time and a place for that. But when you wear your headphones to the grocery store and when you're out and about, you communicate to everyone around you that you're busy and you're unavailable. What does it look like when you are walking through life to communicate, remove them so you can hear what's going on? Because if you have your headphones on, you can't hear what's going on around you. Coffee shop, gym, grocery shopping, when you're out and about. Third, decide when you're going to wake up. Decide that you'll wake up and go to bed without a device. I think it's really important. Um, There's something about going to bed in peace and silence and waking up in that. And I think a lot of us wake up to those notifications and all those things, and it rushes our heart, um, you know, instead of uh, being able to just be still, say good morning to God, maybe greet those we love in our home, say hi to your roommates. 
And from one mom to another, here's my challenge for you. I know how hard it is to be home with little kids. And let me tell you, I'm the first to use my phone as an escape. The days that are especially hard when I'm fatigued, I just want to go curl up in a corner and make sure my kids are safe and just scroll through social media. And you know what? I keep thinking it's going to deliver for me every time. I'm so addicted to my phone. I pick it up and I think, if I look at Facebook, if I go on Instagram, if I read this article, I'm going to feel a lot better afterwards. And you know what? I don't. I don't feel better afterwards. It does not deliver. And God, in this passage, he's inviting us. He's saying, make the most of your moments. So I challenge you, leave your phone in another room. Set aside times where you just leave your phone. Go sit with your kids. Go build a tower with them. Go walk around the block with them. Make Play-Doh with them. The eye contact, the smiles, the giggles, the imaginary play, those things fill your heart. They create those moments of bonds that will change your life. They've changed mine. I am low on time, so I'm going to keep going through here. We must choose to create spaces for connection. So we've got to remove those distractions, and we've got to create spaces for connection. So go on a hike without a device. You know what? Sometimes we just need, like Martha, we need to leave the dirty dishes, and we need to leave the piles of laundry to go have a dance party. This has actually changed our family, let me tell you. Um, I have mountains and mountains of laundry right now, which I need to be responsible for, and I am responsible. But sometimes you just need to leave the mess and go be present with the people you're with. Turn some music on and dance. There's something that happens that's so beautiful when you can be together and just move and enjoy music and life together. Okay, so how do we practice presence with other people? It's by making a conscious choice. We will never drift into connection. Number two, practicing presence requires you to be still and to listen. Experiencing the power of presence in your life means you need to be still enough to look into each other's eyes. I just want to say two things about this. Being still is really hard to do. But it's one of those things that if we long for meaningful connection, we have to be still enough to look into each other's eyes, to read each other's body language. Communication, up to 80% of communication is all nonverbal. So if we're not looking at each other and seeing each other's body language when we talk, we're missing 80% of what could be communicated, of the bond that we can have with each other. And second is eye contact. There's something so powerful about that. When you look into someone else's eyes, there's connection, there's meaning, there's intimacy. Don't miss out on that. And let me just make a, a note. Multitasking is the opposite of being still. Um, some of you might need to hear that today because I, you know, I like to, to multitask. I think especially us moms were really good at like rocking a baby on the hip, cooking a meal, and talking on the phone all at the same time. And yet, <laughs> yes, and, some, and it's necessary, let me tell you. Sometimes it's necessary to get through the day. But does that moment breathe life? Usually it drains. So let's be intentional about creating those spaces where you sit down and you set things aside and you're still. Mary sat before the Lord, and she listened. So she was still, and she looked at Jesus, and she listened. You know what the opposite of listening is? Interrupting. <laughs> I say that because that's the one I struggle with the most. I am notorious for interrupting my husband. And you know when we interrupt each other? Oh, he said amen. Well, it's true. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. You know what the opposite of interrupting is? No, no, no not, the, not the opposite. When we interrupt, you know what I'm communicating to him? I really don't care what you're saying right now. I really don't care what you're thinking. 
what I have to say is a lot more important. So let's practice. Let's practice listening, keeping our mouths shut. And when we listen, let's seek to understand before being understood. Let's ask great questions. Okay, lastly, so practicing presence is a conscious choice. Practicing presence requires us to be still and listen. And lastly, practicing presence demands that your priorities are in the right order. You guys, I just have a couple minutes left. Practicing presence requires that your priorities are in the last, your, your priorities are in the right place, are in order. You know, we can't make conscious decisions to remove distractions. We can't make choices to engage with people. We can't be still and listen unless our priorities are in order because they drive everything we do. It's our values. It says what's most important to us. And until Jesus is your number one priority, every effort for connection will ultimately fail. He is the source of life. He is the source of joy. He is your source of peace. His love and his life as a priority that takes residence in you, it fuels your ability to give love and connection to others. Because you know what? Connection and meaningful experiences with others really means you're giving yourself away. And we don't have the power to give ourselves away, to put away our pride, unless we're willing receive the power of Christ to help us do that. Left to myself, I am so selfish. I need the power of Christ to help me lay aside what I want to put first and to put him first so that I can serve my kids and I can love my husband. And here's what happens. When Jesus' presence walks with you in your home, at, at school, at work, in the coffee shop, his love flows through you. He opens your eyes to things you may have never seen before. His presence makes you secure so you don't have to live in fear of what other people think. His presence frees you from the need to perform or achieve. When you rest in his love and invite his presence, he gives you power to put that device down and prioritize your family, to play with your kids, to wash dishes for your wife, which my husband does, thank you. I gotta give him some props after that other comment. His presence is always with you, so you don't need to have your phone glued to your hand to make you feel busy or important. He's already crazy about you. He's already told you he loves you and he's with you. You're not alone. His presence gives you joy so you can turn a gathering of loved ones into a dance party. Do you know God's presence is all about joy and freedom? He's not calling you to be near him because he wants you to do things for him. That's the whole point of this message, the whole point of Martha. It's Martha thought, I got to do all these things for Jesus. And God said, no, come sit with me. Come have a dance party with me. Come be in my presence because I love you. That's what his presence is all about. He wants to free you. So you spend your time, you spend your money, you spend your resources on things that matter most. His presence comforts you. So you can be there for a friend and experience the closeness that comes when someone grieves on your shoulder. His presence can transform that dreaded nighttime feeding into a sacred space. Boy, let me tell you, I've fed a lot of babies in the middle of the night. God can transform that time. Let me finish my story. You guys, I was a lot like Martha. It's really caught up doing all the right things, a lot of the right things for Jesus. 
Man, I missed the way. And when God, I didn't finish my story, but God stopped me in my tracks when I had a baby. He helped me understand his presence in a whole new way. I remember bringing that little boy home, August 2013. My life completely stopped. I wasn't busy anymore. I didn't feel productive anymore. Like, I didn't know who I was now that, like, I didn't have a million things to check off my list. I sat in a rocking chair all day long and fed a baby. Like, was that successful? That's what I asked myself. And God whispered to me. He said, Annie, look at that baby boy. Your heart explodes for love for that baby boy. And you love him so much. You stare at him all day long. It's crazy how new parents can stare at that baby. You can stare at him for hours and hours. And you're like, it doesn't get old. You can just stare at that baby. And you sing to him and you rock him and you love him. And what does he do for you? (laughs) (laughs) He cries. He sleeps. He poops. A lot of poop. A lot of pee. And cry some more. And you love that baby. You'll do anything for that baby. And you love being with him. You don't want to be separated from him. Annie, that's how I feel about you. You're my child. I didn't want to be near you because you're mine. Come be with me. Come sit with me. I want to stare at you. I want to be in your presence. That's God's call to you and me today. Some of you just need to hear, God loves you so much. Come sit with him. He has made you for relationship with himself, and he's made you to be in relationship with each other, and he doesn't want you to miss what he's got designed for you. So will you welcome him? Will you invite his presence into your life? And if this Jesus thing is really new for you, all you have to do is pray. Say, Jesus, I just invite you into my life. I confess. I have just gone my own way. I've sinned, but I thank you that I can have new life in you. Just invite him to come live in you. Invite him to take residence in your heart, and he promises those who call on the name of the Lord by faith, he'll come and live with you. And some of you this morning, you just need to know Jesus has been waiting in your living room a long time. He's sitting there and you're cooking. You're trying to get stuff done. He's asking you to come sit down. Come sit at his feet. And listen, I want to invite the band up and we're just going to invite God's presence. This morning, I want you to close your eyes with me. Father, we invite you. We want to give you the spaces in our hearts that have run from you. The fears that we hold. We want to give to you the things that we think are so important, and yet they fall so short when it comes to simply being with you. 
Father, I pray that you'd help us understand how much you love us. You just long to be near us. I pray that this morning we'd come sit down and we'd listen. And we'd begin to experience you day by day. As we are in your presence, oh Lord, we begin to make life-giving choices that create connection. Lord, as we're in your presence, that we'd remove those distractions. And we'd learn just to make space for you. We love you, Lord, and we offer all that we have to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.